Well, we are in week two of a new sermon series called Average Joe, where we're looking at how God uses ordinary people, regular people, average people to do extraordinary things, to accomplish His good purposes. And the reality is that everybody influences, we all lead in some way, shape, or form, whether as a parent, perhaps it's in the workplace or as a board member, or it could be in less formal ways, such as on the playground, or working with a group of volunteers, or perhaps through one of the hobbies that you love to pursue. In some way, shape, or form, God uses us and our influence. And so we are on a journey to say exactly how is it that God grows and shapes and works through average people, perhaps average people even like us. We are walking with Joseph, Old Testament Joseph, son of Jacob, Joseph, and his life and the lessons through his journey, this ordinary guy that God does amazing things through, not just for him, but for the sake of many, many others. And though all of us may see ourselves as average, perhaps, today we're going to look at the role of exactly how is it that through average people like us, through trials, adversity, and suffering, how does God use those things in the life of a leader, in the life of an influencer, to bring even greater transformation and good, both for the moment and perhaps far down the road, if we allow Him, if we allow Him. Now, I confess, when I say, you know, how to let trials and adversity and suffering shape us, I shudder. In fact, when I looked at the preaching schedule, who Dan Meyer organizes, and I saw that I'm preaching this message, I wanted to fall to my knees and shake my fist to the heavens and cry out in anguish. Perhaps a little dramatic, but not too much. I can confidently tell you, I do not like to be tested. I do not like adversity. I do not like to suffer. And I'm not sure many people do. Does anyone have, has anyone really learned to brace trials and adversity in your life? Denial. Or perhaps maturity. But maybe by the end of this message, maybe we will be a little more open and embracing of just exactly how important those trials and adversities are in our life. Because they do shape us. The question is how and if we allow God to do some of his best work If you just look at our western suburban lives, we have worked hard and listened to the voices and the images all around us that say, run from pain, run from inconvenience, heaven forbid, humiliation. The good life is a life pictured without stress or struggle. We go to great lengths to protect our comfort, our stability, our respect, our rights, our entitlements. And after we have covered all of those bases, we still add Aflac to the mix, just in case. When trials and sufferings do find their way into our lives, it honestly reveals a lot within us, doesn't it? And sometimes it can even shake our faith. Especially in the really hard times, we wonder, is God even here, is he absent? Is is he asleep at the wheel? Is he even paying attention to what's going on in my life? And in its most severe times, sometimes we 
might even question if God is real at all. But what if? What if God is actually using those trials to actually make us better? What if the breakdowns are sometimes the means to great breakthroughs? What if those struggles are actually meant to make us stronger? What if we actually had the opportunity to partner with God through the choices and the actions we take to actually bring about something transformative in our lives that he wants to do in and through us? Our sermon text today comes from Genesis chapter 39, and you're free to turn there. I'm going to read uh, the first 20 verses just to set the context for us, or you can pull out your techno Bibles in honor of Dick McKay. Uh, But we're looking at Joseph, who is the 11th born son of Jacob, not a great position in a culture that prizes firstborns, let alone having 10 older brothers, which in and of itself could be a little bit of a nightmare. But Joseph, as we saw last week, seems like he was sticking it to his brothers a little bit, perhaps a little cocky. And his brothers hated him for it because dad loved Joseph more than the other brothers. And he didn't let him forget it. And at one point, they actually wanted to kill him. They actually wanted to kill him, but instead they threw him into a pit, a cistern, and left him there and then decided to sell him to some merchants. They could make a little money off of this kid that they hated. And they did. And then Joseph would soon find himself on the slave trade blocks. That is a lot for a 17-year-old boy or young man to have to endure. But There's a common refrain in the story of Joseph. And it says this, the Lord was with Joseph. We will see it in the text right at the beginning. The Lord was with Joseph. And I would say he is with you as well. Hear these words from Genesis chapter 39. Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and so he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household. And he entrusted his, to his care everything he owned. From that time, he put him in charge of the household and all that he owned. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. Interesting how blessing flows is extended. It touches those around you. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, the master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day, 
when he went into the house to attend to his duties and none, none of the household servants were inside, she caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. And when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until her master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought, you brought us came to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now this story honestly seems like too many of the TV shows on TV today. And honestly, I, I hope we do not become numb to just how significant this story is. Again, we observe another trial in Joseph's life, okay? From brothers hating him, being left for dead, being sold into slavery, right? He now finds himself actually on the up and up. He now has been blessed. He has been given great opportunity, influence, and leadership. He is taken care of, and he has risen to the top of the opportunities that he has had. And then, it all comes crashing down through the lies, through the deceit, through the evil of someone else. I'm not exactly sure what a person's to do in a moment like that. What would you do? Think about it. All that you had worked for, right? You were finally set, and then someone... Undermine, totally just destroys your career, all that you have. And it's not even like you have another chance. You are put in prison. Do you just say, ah, shucks. To God be the glory. He'll do something. Or do you burn with anger? I, I, would, I, I would go down fighting. It probably would not end well for Eric Camfield if I'm in that situation. What would you do? It kicks up something in you, doesn't it? To think about that kind of deceit and lies that can destroy your life. Well, I think there's a few things we can do. I think there's a few things we see in Joseph's life. And if we learn to journey through trials and adversity well, and I think life is all about the journey. I think you find some fruit on the other side that God wants to produce in your life and my life for his glory and for the accomplishment of his will on this earth. The first thing we need to do is maintain perspective. Maintain perspective in our trials. Remember, we said we've insulated our lives against pain and trials and inconvenience, but I'm amazed at how often I am blindsided, how often I'm surprised when trials or adversity come. I don't know why I have not learned to expect that not everything will be perfect all the time. Not all the time. James chapter 1 says, consider, that, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever, not if, but whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And if any of you lacks wisdom, 
meaning in your trials, in these tough times, seeking what God is doing. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously without fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Double-minded because it's this vacillation between self-reliance and relying on God. Self-reliance will always be turbulent, but learning to trust and to lean into God, you find stability. Expect it. But these verses also give us another aspect of perspective. We must have an eternal perspective, an eternal perspective. Joseph learned this eternal perspective through these trials. And as we progress in the weeks to come, you're going to see even more trials in Joseph's life. This is not the end of the story. But as we get to chapter 50, a few chapters from now, we will see what Joseph has acquired and learned through his trials and adversity. He is finally reunited with his brothers who hated him. And Joseph says this, he says, you intended to harm me, now I got you. No, that's not what he says. He goes, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid, I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Friends, that is transformation and restoration, not in the code of many colors, but in real life living color. Perspective. Always remember, God is not distant, especially in your trials, especially in your suffering. You can trust that God is there. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And he is with you, just as he was with Joseph. And he is doing something in your trials. He is doing something in your suffering to bring about healing, to bring about transformation, to bring about some refinement of your life and soul so that for some future good or perhaps even to be a witness in that hard place right where you're at for others. God never wastes a hurt. There's one more point with perspective that we see in Joseph's life. No matter where you are, no matter what the adversity may be, continue to journey well with God and with others. It may be hard, but prove yourself a follower of Jesus. In other words, be faithful. Colossians 3, 17 says, And whatever you do, whether word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, even in your trials. If you do not get the whole picture of Joseph, but you get a sense that there was something with this boy who grew to become a man, whether it was on the slave trade auction block, or that he's with Potiphar, or as we will see when he is in prison, what happens to him in prison and how he is elevated even in responsibility there. And as the story progresses, there's something in Joseph that people uh, promote him, that move him forward. And I believe it's because Joseph lived a Colossians 3:17 kind of life. Whatever he did, whatever he was at, he pursued faithfulness and he worked. He pressed on. He pressed forward even when it seemed like life could be hopeless. And so must we. 
It's one thing to be thrown into a pit of despair. It's quite another thing to crawl into it ourselves. God is with you and God is in it. Press on in faithfulness. Second, we must remember that attitude is everything. Attitude is everything. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but God and Jesus and his teachings, they are very attitude-oriented. And so often Christianity can be dubbed as this whole list of do's and lists of don'ts, but I, I think God is far more concerned with our attitude that leads to our actions and behaviors than perhaps the actual things we do. He wants to get underneath the surface. It's the heart and soul of the matter. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, you were taught with regard to your formal way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You cannot put on the new until there is a shift in the attitude of your mind. Romans 12 too, another verse that we love to share and teach and preach here says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, your attitude, literally changing the way you think. Then, and only then, will you be able to test and approve what God's will is, that wisdom in the midst of the many trials and adversities we will face that James was talking about. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Alan Nelson, uh, a friend and author, says, adversity introduces you to yourself. And I think he's right. Suffering introduces us to our attitudes that lead to our thoughts and actions in all kinds of circumstances. And when we learn to face ourselves, when we learn to embrace the brokenness that we find in our adversities, in our trials, we begin to take on an attitude of what I would just say is surrender. That we learn to let go, and as we some say, we allow God into that space. That he is allowed to tame these wild souls that we have before our sovereign creator. And we begin to look to him more so than ourselves. If you wanted a little kind of attitude test, uh, just think about our own sense of rights, our own sense of entitlement. I mean, I experienced it today just driving. Like, there's no way there should be a single red light, slow person or other that, heaven forbid, gets in my way when I'm coming to church. Um, but Oswald Chambers, right? I was convicted about this earlier this week. May 25th, my utmost for his highest, Oswald Chambers says this. Whenever our right becomes the guiding factor in our lives, it dulls our spiritual insight. The greatest enemy of the life of faith in God is not sin, but good choices, which are not quite good enough. Many of us do not continue to grow spiritually because we prefer to choose on the basis of our rights instead of relying on God to make the choice for us. We have to learn to walk according to the standard which has its eyes focused on God. And I would say especially in those times of trial. This is why the Beatitudes, this is why Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount to me are so profound because it reveals what true strength and power in the kingdom of God look like. And it reveals what the people of God, how they live, their actions, what it looks like 
when we're actually surrendered and start taking on this attitude of Jesus who actually learned that by descending, right, by pouring himself out, actually becomes the pathway for God to do his greatest work. Alan Nelson goes on and sums it up this way in his book, Embracing Brokenness. He says, being broken enlarges our capacity for life. Being unbroken dwarfs our capacity to love and for God. The pruning process appears to make us smaller, but the result is that we actually become much more productive. The difficult part is realizing that truth and trusting God. And if any of you think back how you've journeyed through some of your own trials and adversity, whether it's been recently or maybe it's been long ago, and you look back, you start seeing, the, I think, the truths of what it means if we journey well, what God fortifies and grows within us. Here is an attitude checklist. There's going to be too many to write down so you can get the message online. But just look at these, and I'm going to warn you, it's a little rough if you actually examine yourself with this. But here are, here's a little attitude checklist. Am I willing to let go of my ambitions and dreams if God's will leads me elsewhere? Am I defensive when accused, criticized, or misunderstood? Am I forgiving when offended, with or without an apology? Is my first instinct to think of myself or to think for others? Am I daily saying, God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, I am willing to submit to your leadership? Am I finding joy in the difficulties that can serve to refine me? Am I taking risks out of obedience to Christ instead of giving in to fear or comfort, pride, or denial? When I read that list, I have to think, yeah, my wife is actually right. I have a little more work to do. <laughs> the title of this message is called Descending Up, and Mike Murphy came up with that brilliant line or brilliant title, and I think it really captures what God wants to do in us. He wants to call us up, but our role is that we must learn to actually descend in those trials and adversities and suffering, give us the context to actually learn how to do that. Because when we maintain a healthy perspective, when we grow that healthy attitude of Christ, we learn to surrender. We learn to allow God into that space, and we allow God to refine us and grow us for his glory, for us, but also to bless many. Those who journey well in trials are able to look back and see the good gifts that God has for them, and he has more for you if we will be willing to receive them. As I think about the fruit of that surrendered life, of perspective and attitude, I think these are some of the things that we can expect. And hopefully you've seen some of these grow in your life. And I pray we all see this fruit grow more and more because we can expect more trials to come. But here's people who journey well, what they experience. They love others even when they're not receiving love in return. Love begins to be their operating system, if you will. They maintain an internal positive joy, distinguished from happiness. Trials, and they're not fun. They're not happy. But there is this internal joy that comes that I believe when you root and find yourself strengthened by the Lord. 
I would actually go on to say you'll find we could go on and list all the fruits of the Spirit. Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They are all there to that surrendered life. And it's through those hard times that we actually see those things get pruned and grow in us. Or as 1 Peter in chapter 1 would say, we, we start becoming holy. God calls us to holiness and purity and righteousness. We begin to see that kind of fruit come forth. Those that journey well are not preoccupied by possessions. They're not preoccupied by status. They become servant-oriented. They live for the sake of others. They find a key to unlock that generous life with their time, their talents, their treasures. They become just giving and used by God. They learn from the past. They live in the presence, but they make their future their goal. They become perpetual learners which requires reflection, which leads to that wisdom. And they grow in humility. You find pride dissipating with people who have learned to be broken and surrendered, who have learned to descend, and in the process, God calls them up. It's the great paradox of the faith that we have been given. Friends, though average as we may be, or as we may think of ourselves, God has given you great purpose, and significance and influence in your life. And because he has, he has dedicated himself to growing and shaping and bringing about all the transformation that needs to happen in you for his glory and for his will. And he uses trials and adversity and even suffering to produce that in us. If we commit ourselves to journey well, we have to commit ourselves to journey well and through those times. Often we don't conquer the trials. We just journey through them with God, allowing him to guide us. And he produces this amazing fruit and he calls us up. Embracing the trials to come, surrendering, is the pathway of those who influence and lead well in the name of Christ. And I pray that we will all lean in a little more to those next trials or if you're in it now, that you will just seek God and trust that he is there, and be amazed at what he will do. Will you pray with me? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we count it an honor and privilege to be known by you, to be your children, to be loved even more than Jacob loved Joseph. God, we thank you for the life and the lessons we learn through your scriptures. God, I pray that while trials are hard. Even the small trials can be hard that, God, we face sometimes very severe and trying times as well. God, help us to journey well. Help us to draw close to you. Help us, even when it doesn't make sense, to trust in you and to allow you to call us up as we learn to let go, as we learn to surrender, as we learn to allow you to do that good work in us because you intend to bless so many through each of our lives. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And God's people said, amen.